This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. It's early on a Friday. Fighting just a sore throat, but um, for the podcast and for Howard Beck of Bleacher Report, I'll I'll make it work. I'll find a way because when Howard Beck's coming on the podcast, you you go you go on you you soldier on. So Howard, good morning. How are you? Uh, good, Chase. I admire your, uh, your your resiliency, your toughness in this early part of the season. The dog days are, are still ahead. It's good to know that you are armed with lozenges and will not let this uh, adversity throw you off your course. I'm basically the Sacramento Kings of sports podcasting <laughs> these days. I don't know if that's exactly what you want to do, but okay. I'll roll I mean, they're it. six and three now. They just blew out the Hawks they are. last night. Hey, you it's know what? Bizarre. Who might argue? Who right. might argue? We're already seeing Dave Yeager for coach of the year stuff. Um, love those early <laughs> overreactions. Couldn't believe I saw that headline already. I had not seen that one. I'm not okay. surprised because this is what we do in the first two, three weeks of the season. We overreact to everything. And a couple months later, we look back and have a good laugh. I mean, it is kind of a cool story, but I'm kind of annoyed. It's so sad because there's so many great Kings fans like Greg Wissinger, James Hamm, everybody else. But like, I I get annoyed because I'm trying to feel out how this Western Conference is going to look. And outside of the Warriors, you just see that the Kings are in that four or five spot or over there. And they're like, that's not going to stick. I, I, I already want to know the final answer to the Western Conference like conundrum. Um, and it's been a couple weeks of the season. So in some instances, I do feel kind of guilty for just like wishing for the Kings to just go full Kings so we can move on from this charade. But then again, <laughs> if this is legit and they actually do make the playoffs, like, wow, what, what, a, I'll, I'll what just, a crazy time. Yeah, I'll just say this. Those, those Kings fans have deserved a few moments of happiness, so I don't want to take it from them. I mean, I, I think we all know that this is not going to last. I think they probably know that too. Um, but Deer and Fox is real. And there's some other promising, you know, uh, aspects to this team right now. And so, you know, for the first time in a while, I think they at least can say, you know what, we've got somebody to hang our hat on. I mean, obviously they could hang their hat on DeMarcus Cousins, but they knew that that was going to come with uh, a rather, uh, you know, uh, steep downside as well. And so at least since that trade, and actually even during that, that era, you know, they, they never they never made the playoffs with Cousins. I mean, I, I think, uh, especially in this era, in a guard-dominated era, um, with De'Aaron Fox looking like he's, you know, uh, poised for potential stardom here, I, look, the, give Kings fans that much. If the record doesn't last, they at least know that De'Aaron Fox is somebody who can lead them to a, a brighter future that they've been waiting for for a, a quite a long time. So, And by the way, like, you know, the ambiguity in the West outside of the Warriors is probably the best thing we could hope for because – you know, no one really expects other than the most, you know, diehard Rockets fans or maybe some Thunder fans or I don't know who else. No one else in the West really expects 
then he would have knocked off the Warriors. So we might as well have intrigue um, from two through 15. And if that means, you know, the Kings flirting with a playoff spot in October, November, um, if that means the Rockets looking like they're, you know, ready to just collapse, which obviously, again, probably not going to happen, but, you know, the early warning signs are uh, are interesting. Um, look, that's that's the intrigue we need. If we don't have any, any uh, mystery in our own minds about what will happen in June, uh, at least the rest of the season can provide us some intrigue. And LeBron can talk about uh, what happens when his patient runs out. Like, that's some good intrigue, right? He knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Pa- <laughs> yeah. When he no, said I, that, I, love, I, I don't know how to take I it. I, I know he knows what he means by that, but I have no idea, but I enjoy it. There was a great piece by uh, Joe Varden in The Athletic about this very idea that, um, and, and cataloging all the times that, that LeBron ran out of patience during his most recent four-year stint in Cleveland. And of course, <laughs> Joe Varden covered that, covered that uh, uh, exhaustively. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, listen, LeBron's smart and he understands that the situation he joined in LA is, you know, it's an unfinished product and it's a, you know, a, a kind of a strange roster and it's a very new roster and everybody just got there like five minutes ago. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to take time. Everybody should expect that. And nobody should be freaking out about the Lakers slowish start. Um, I think they're going to be fine. And I think LeBron probably feel like they're, feels like they're, they're going to be fine. But it's also his job kind of as, as the leader and as somebody who knows that expectations wherever he goes are going to be through the roof, that he has to you know, play both sides of this. He has to preach patience on the one hand because he knows that's the reality. But at the same time, he's got to keep that hammer back there that he's not going to be too patient um, because, you know, look, guy's going to turn 34 in another month and a half here. So uh, he doesn't have forever. Yeah, and I think he's like if you watch the Lakers in close games, and I mean they they struggle to hold a lead late, and you think about like okay, who does LeBron trust in this team? And that's where the patience comes in, where he probably wants to close out these games, and he's used to closing out these games. But Brandon Ingram's obviously suspended, so he's not an option right now. And you look around, it's like is Kuzma the guy he trusts most to help him close a basketball game, which is a little concerning, and maybe that's the patience of like I don't know if LeBron, I'm sure doesn't know where to go to close this game. And it's kind of like what happened when he started with the heat to a smaller degree where um, he and Wade had to figure things out and Bosch too, where how this was going to work, especially in crunch time and everything else. But I I do wonder if the patience has to do with like, how long is LeBron going to be okay having to do everything himself in tight, close games? Well, you know, it's a fair question in general, but I also think it's one that it's, it's, it's too soon to really press because um, we are just for a couple of weeks into the season. Um, they did just go through a period here where Ingram had to serve his four game suspension and Rondo had to sit a couple of games, three games. Um, so, you know, it, it's too soon to start asking like where, you know, where do they go in a fourth quarter or what's their closing lineup? I mean, they're, they're figuring those things out along the way and it's been choppy because of the suspensions and, you know, they'll, They'll, they'll get there. I mean, Brandon Ingram should be the number two. Uh, he, sh- he should be the new LeBron wingman in theory, that he's the one who I think has the most versatility and upside there. Uh, you know, Lonzo has had some very promising moments early on, but he, you know, he's a different kind of player. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I, I just think that the, the, the sample size of Laker games and, you know, you know kind of uh, – um, improvised lineups that came about because of the suspensions for a, for a period there, it just makes it hard to, to 
draw any fast conclusions right now, but there's promise there. You know, Kuzma's done been really good so far uh, this season and has played off LeBron very well. Um, Lonzo and Ingram have had their moments. Uh, you know, JaVale McGee looks like a whole different player. I hope they don't run him into the ground too soon. Um, <laughs> they, they could, they could use a backup for him. Yeah. Um, but Which, by the way, you know, is crazy. I, I, Just like we're worried about running yeah. JaVale McGee into the ground. Like if that's part yeah. of your season issues, then you're like, oh, maybe we need some more depth. We need another five. Pro- probably, probably. But he's been great. Um, so, look, I, I, I think I, you know, I, I made this crack yesterday. I didn't mean it to be a, a crack. I didn't mean it to, to sound uh, as, I think, mean-spirited as it did when it came out of my mouth. But I was... Uh, on a radio show yesterday where I said, you know, if you just watch the Lakers for five minutes, you'd think they were a good team. And I didn't mean that as an insult or, or any kind of slight. I just meant that when you watch them, they're really fun. They're, they're really entertaining. They, they play this very fast paced brand of, of basketball uh, and the ball moves and they make shots. And you, and if you just watch them, you know, the combination of LeBron and, and their style of play, you think hey, it's a really good team. And then, you know, you look up and you realize that they don't play any defense and, you know, they're losing more games than they're winning. But um, the, the, the point of, 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 uh, of saying that they, if you just watch for five minutes, they look like a good team is to say that the, the, that there's the, the makings of a good team there that, uh, that I, I think they're going to be fine. Um, they do have to figure out, you know, their, their defense. Um, and that can take time with a new group, but I think they're going to get there. I don't, I don't have any concerns about the, the, the Lakers. They're going to be a playoff team. Well, I think the biggest thing for me, and this was something, I mean, when he first decided to go there that I was thinking about was Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma around LeBron. Like, I don't think all four of those guys are going to be around LeBron uh, for the next four years. Like, I I think that's just, that's too many young guys. I don't think LeBron is going to do that for the remainder of his time in Los Angeles. So when you think about it, I'm just like, who? I feel like everybody's auditioning around LeBron. The young guys are just, and LeBron is uh, seeing who he trusts long-term and who he wants to play with for the next couple of years. Because LeBron's like, all right, uh, this is not going to be enough. uh, Or I just, we need to move on. Like, this is not going to work. I I'm sure that Rob Palenka is going to oblige or whatever. So I I just don't think the four of them, and I like Josh Hart a lot. He got inserted into starting lineup. I like Lonzo. I like Brandon Ingram. And I like Kyle Kuzma. I don't think all four will be playing next to LeBron in crutch time in the playoffs this year. Um, so I, I don't know what happens with Lonzo, like Josh Hart, what his trade value is right now. But I want to ask you this. Is it true or false? Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma will be on this team come playoff time this year. Oh, yeah. True. Okay. They will. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. Um, one is Josh Hart already, I think, plays like a veteran in a lot of ways. And I think um, Kuzma has grown pretty quickly. Lonzo has grown pretty quickly. And the biggest concerns about, you know, distractions with his father and all this have not materialized. So there's not really, you know, that, that concern seems to have faded. And Ingram is, is so uh, potentially valuable as a wingman uh, you know, literally and figuratively that, you know, his, his length and his, his abilities, uh, to score, you know, uh, both in transition and in the, in the half court, um, his, he's got a, you know, a nice little, uh, mid range game. I, I just, and he's, he's lengthy and he can switch defensively. Like he's, he's the ideal for the modern NBA. So, you know, if, if you were giving me a choice of like, one of these guys is ultimately going to be gone. I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even be able to tell you which one, has to to you know be booted off the island um i think it's lonzo well listen listen i mean 
Possibly. Well, we'll see. Here's the thing. As, as, we're, as, as we're charting out where the Lakers are going, mm-hmm. the first thing is this. Uh, if they're on track to make the playoffs without making a trade, then they'll probably make the, then they'll probably just stay the course and not give up anything too soon. Right. Um, if there's an opportunity to add, you know, shooters or a big, those are their areas of immediate need. Um, if they do that without giving up too much, yeah, maybe they make a, a minor move before the trade deadline. But if this team can make the playoffs as is, and I think they can, then you, you hold you stay the course and you wait until free agency because the whole point is we've got a max slot. We don't want to take on salary. That's going to mess with that. And we want to go sign Kawhi Leonard or Clay Thompson or whoever. So if they feel like they're on track and that those guys are going to be available, you stay the course. And if you're staying the course, then you're not trading the young guys. Also the young guys are on cheap rookie contracts. So you don't want to give up that too soon. Um, and while youth doesn't generally win in this league, you generally win with veterans, and, and LeBron understands that, obviously, as, as well as anyone, too. Um, if the kids grow up quickly, and I think they're making great strides, then, you know, you have other ways of doing it. You, you can have a mix of those guys plus some of the veterans, not necessarily this group of veterans, not necessarily the Rondo, Lance, JaVale, Michael Beasley group, but um, – you've got a chance next summer to, to add again, whether it's a max guy or a combination of guys, and you can have a good mix of veterans and youth. And, and by that time, this youth won't be as youthful. <laughs> they'll, yeah. have, they'll all be finishing their second years. Um, the group that we're talking about. And um, I think most of them will be through two years. Um, and, and, and that'll be, you know, they'll, they'll be on course. So I, I don't, I don't feel like they have to rush into remaking the roster in order to get veterans. They've, they've got a, a good mix right now. I would agree. I just think it's something that they have to kind of think about is which one of these guys is not. Cause I just, I don't think you can have four young guys like that around LeBron for the next four years. I, I think eventually someone's got to get booted off the Island. And I feel like Brandon Ingram is the most intriguing to keep around. I think LeBron really likes Kuzma as his young Kevin love with what he was doing in Cleveland. And then Lonzo has, I think, more trade value than uh, Josh Hart. So I think if you could do, I mean, the Damian Lillard or Kimba stuff, like if you call Mitch Kupchak, uh, old friend of Los Angeles, and call him and be like, yeah, uh, Kimba is on his last year of his deal. Um, we'll give you Lonzo for Kimba. And then you just bank on that because I don't think they're getting Clay, and I don't think they're getting Kawhi. I, I think there is real, there's a real chance they miss... I mean, everybody outside of, I feel like Durant is their best long shot option just because, wouldn't that just be cool for a year or two years of just the two best players in the world playing together? If we're going to do four top 15 players on one team for a season, how about we do, you know what, let's keep going. Let's just throw the number two player in the world on the number one player in the world. Like, hit, like I think that is incredibly intriguing if we get the warriors lakers and the western conference West, i'm getting ahead of myself i understand but just the way when you think about this kind of stuff like durant in los angeles is far more interesting than durant um in new york for me but um yeah i just went like four different ways but first what do you think of like the kimbo or the dame stuff where it's like would you if you're the lakers and you're rob palenka and you're just like if we get the sense that we're not getting any of the big names um do we just make a trade for someone who LeBron clearly likes playing with, which is a off ball guard who can shoot uh, at a high volume and everything else. And the two guys who seem the most likely is probably number one, Kimba and number two, um, Damian Lillard. So uh, what do you think? Well, Kemba's undersized and has, has been fantastic despite that, but um, it, it does limit you defensively 
you know, by definition, when you, uh, you know, rely on a guy like that, when you make him an essential part of your, your lineup, um, the, the Lakers, obviously the goal is to get one of the guys we've already talked about. Obviously the goal is, is one of the, the big names of, of 2019. And, you know, listen, you're, you're right to say that it, there's no guarantee there. Um, and it's also possible that maybe they get signals by midseason that maybe they're not coming. Maybe Kawhi gets really comfortable in Toronto. Maybe pretty good. Durant decides yeah, maybe Durant decides to stay in, in Golden State or signals that he's going to go to New York. Who knows? Um, all these all these things are possible. And then maybe the Lakers have to start looking at, at other ways forward. Um, I don't know that Kemba's really the answer. Um, you know, a guy who's going to need the ball in his hands a lot uh, to, to maximize his scoring abilities. I... You know, I don't see Portland giving up Dame Lillard anytime soon. I think if, if they ever do decide that they have to break it up, then I think CJ McCollum is the one who goes out the door. Hmm. Um, and, and you know, CJ and Dame, neither of them, you know, really exactly plays much defense either. So, I mean, the Lakers are going to need two-way guys. They're, they're going to need some defenders around LeBron um, that you don't want to overtax him at his age with uh, a, a ton of, of, you know, defensive uh, uh burden so you know i i don't i don't know who if, if they needed to make a deal if they need, if it was like okay you know what let's just we'll trade lonzo let's see what we can get i don't i don't know who that they're getting for him i don't know who that is i don't know what what that um i you know i don't know who's really available right now other than jimmy butler frankly um and yeah. I, butler hasn't indicated that he wants to be there necessarily so uh yeah I, I guess it's all just to say it's 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 premature to, to figure out who the Lakers which of the Lakers youth they're dealing for help because I don't know that that's really the 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 way that they're going to go. Okay. That's interesting. I think that's where they go. I just it is November 2nd. I think that's what ends up happening is I think the Lakers end up moving a couple of their young guys and just trading for intriguing stars and stuff like that. I um I don't know. I'm just not a believer in their free agency uh um, upside in the next couple of years. I know that's weird because they have LeBron James, but um, I don't know. I'm just, I had a bad feeling. I don't know. Um, we touched on Kawhi a little bit, and I want to ask you about their hot start. I mean, they're both 7-1 and one with the Milwaukee Bucks, who just fell to the Boston Celtics last night. Um, are you surprised at all by how quickly Kawhi has just jumped out of the gates, shooting like 45% from three, um, doing all kinds of um, incredible gift-worthy things on defense, like no-look steals. Um, are you surprised by how seamless the transition of Nick Nurse to head coach and Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green into the starting lineup has been for Toronto? Oh, surprise isn't the right, really the right word. It's, it's more um, that questions were answered. Um, there was... A legit and I think very relevant question when the deal was made of who is Kawhi right now? We barely saw him last season. Is he healthy? Is he is is, is his head still in the game in a constructive way? What what the heck just happened with the Spurs? Um, you know, we we still don't really I feel like have the full story there. It was a very strange year, and I think it caused people around the league to justifiably question. Um, Kawhi's mentality as, as well as his, his just physical health. I think he's um, healthy. So the question, <laughs> well, well, who knows? I mean, well, yeah. again, who knows? Um, when the season began or when preseason began, even those were the questions that I think people wanted to see answered. Um, and he's, he's answered them emphatically. He's, he's obviously healthy. He's obviously still himself. That was the other thing. Well, maybe he'll be healthy, but maybe he won't still be the same Kawhi who, you know, challenged for MVP, 
two seasons ago. Um, he looks better than fine. I mean, I you know, look, the, the old Kawhi is still there. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in that regard, Toronto made a great deal. It's a gamble, but it was a great deal. Um, and you knew that the uh, best case scenario in getting Kawhi and Danny Green, who's also a great perimeter defender, you combine those two with Kyle Lowry and some of the versatile bigs they have and their bench, and you knew this could be an elite defensive team. Um, and yeah, of course, Nick Nurse, you know, rookie head coach. So there were questions there too. But I mean, early returns are really good, but they are they are within the you know they were they were within reasonable expectations. It was the if Kawhi is right and engaged, um, then yeah, this was this was what you thought they could be, and so far they are. Which is bad news for Boston, and that was my thought when this trade happened, and just thinking about the layout of the land, and I mean, Giannis, was, I thought was coming, just because Mike Budenholzer got 60 wins with a um, Hawks team where Al Horford or Paul Millsap was their best player, um, and guided them to the Eastern Conference Finals, I just... When you think about it, and there was this really good piece on Brew Hoop that outlined just Giannis being outside of the system that now works with Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton and everybody else, but Giannis is doing his own unicorn thing uh, inside and just crashing over and over again and not playing the same style that his whole team is, but it just works because he's the the lone wolf in that system, but eventually he will figure out a way to play within both system. But anyway, um, Kawhi is just, he, he's shooting 45%. He's killing it on both ends Danny Green shooting like 45 percent Kyle Lowry I don't think has missed a shot to start the season that trio in the backcourt I I just when you watch them you're just like oh my god this was always gonna work like it's just amazing to see the turnaround the difference of us just watching the Lowry DeRozan teams of years past um and just the difference in the style of play and OG Ananobi doesn't even start and you have Pascal Siakam who um not shooting well yet Serge Ibaka's not shooting well yet but none of that matters because they're just so long and switchy and you think about it and you're like oh the best player in the east uh is not on the Celtics and it's not on the Bucks and it's not on the Sixers even though Joel Embiid like dropped like 41 and 14 last night and was just absurd again but um yeah, I just Toronto's the early favorite, and I mean they were my preseason NBA uh, finals team in the East, and uh, I I mean I feel pretty good about my Bucks Raptors preseason Eastern Conference Finals pick. I do feel good about that. Celtics fans uh, were mad at me for that, but um, I don't know. I, I maybe this is another overreaction. We can call this the overreaction Friday pod, but uh, the early returns on the Raptors, and then to a lesser degree, the Bucks are are pretty positive. I think. Yeah, no question. Um, this was the ultimate test in, in Milwaukee of the, the of any theory about what uh, how much coaching matters. You know, they really didn't change up much in terms of personnel. I mean, there, you know, a couple of minor additions. You know, you mentioned Brooke Lopez, but they didn't. There was you know they didn't acquire a second star. They didn't um, you know change up the, the roster in any significant way. Uh, their biggest offseason addition was the coach was Budenholzer and. Um, you know, the Bucks have been a team that feel like or felt like to me often the last couple of years maybe had kind of plateaued. Like you just and until you get somebody else to play alongside Giannis to take a little bit of, of the scoring and creating burden burden off of him, that maybe this is just as far as you can get, that maybe you're just a mid forty win team. And, you know, the uh the hope of course there was no, just getting the right coach and elite coach will will make will will give them that leap will maximize the guys that they do have and so it's not about necessarily getting a second star it's about just maximizing what you have and maximizing Giannis himself and yes again 
it's early, but so far the argument in favor of elite coaching is winning. Um, they're, they're playing like a much better version of themselves. And again, without having made, you know, any real significant roster changes, uh, again, we'll have to see how it holds up over the course of a full season. There is still, you know, when it comes right down to it, you still have the issue of, you know, having one guy carry so much of the burden as Jonas has. Now, Chris Middleton has been great, and he, and he there's, you know, Glenn, you know, Bledsoe will have his moments. Other guys will have their moments. Um, but, you know, talent gets you um, further than coaching generally in this league. And great coaching matters too, of course. But uh, my doubts about Milwaukee still have to do with the fact that I don't know that there's enough around Giannis right now. Uh, Toronto has the edge over them there. Boston has the edge over them there. Um, so you, you know, think Boston still has the Philly. edge over Milwaukee because they did take them to seven with no head coach last year. Yeah, I know. Look, I I, I get it, but um, you know uh, that was uh, uh, you know this this Boston team has Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward back healthy-ish. Um, so it's it's it, you know the Celtics have so much depth one through eight, one through nine, whatever it may be, wherever people want to cut off. Um, and we haven't seen, I think, the the full uh, you know maximum capacity yet of it. I think they're still kind of figuring out their new chemistry with, with so many guys who can who can do some things with the ball, and that'll take time. But uh, if, if if the chemistry works out, and again, Brad Stevens also an elite coach. Uh, the Celtics just have so much versatility, um, both sides of the ball, that uh, to me they're still the favorites in the East. Okay, I, I just hope that Jimmy gets added to Philadelphia. Like that's what I want to see. I want to see how because you look no, at be, that, that'd be fun, right? Wouldn't that just be the best case scenario for just basketball fans in general for the Final Four? Like just throwing him because they need the wing, they need the help. You see it like with the Wilson Chandler addition and like Zaire Smith being out for the year. You just you can just see that they just need someone else in that wing that's not Rocco and. um I don't know. I think that's the final piece for them that would just be so much fun and make the Eastern Conference playoffs just that much more entertaining. That's where I hope he goes, not Miami, because I don't think Miami gets more fun with Jimmy Butler. No, I said this weeks ago that like, the the weird thing about Miami and Jimmy Butler is that without Jimmy Butler, they're you know a a you know a sixth or seventh seed in the East, and with Jimmy Butler, they're probably still a sixth or seventh right. seed in the East. I mean, it's not it's not. It, it, it's not catapulting them over. I mean, maybe it's going to look before the season began. I, obviously I was still, you know, had, had certain teams kind of um, assumed in the top, you know, five or six. And that included Washington who right now look like, you know, they're ready to, to circle the drain. Um, but in general, like Jimmy Butler is not dramatically changing Miami, especially because, you know, there's obviously guys they're losing in that, in that deal as well that, that uh, may keep them from, from, uh, really making a big move. I mean, I, you know, how do, how do they get ahead of, they're not, they're not going to be as good as Toronto, Boston, Philly, Milwaukee at a minimum. So they're the best. You're still talking about fifth. I, I just don't know that that's, that's the move you make, but um, Butler and Philly. Yeah. Like that's a lot of fun. Um, Butler and Milwaukee would be fun. As I've said, I, I think, I think mm. they need that second, they need that second star uh, to take some of the, the burden off of, Giannis, Jimmy Butler in New Orleans would be spectacular. Now, again, right now they look like maybe they don't need him, but um, I would love to see him between Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. Like that, you know. Now, now you're talking. Now Anthony Davis's MVP campaign would have serious momentum if you've got a guy 
who uh, can can help them get uh, you know into a top four seating. You know, because right now the Pelicans, uh, you know, I, actually I shouldn't even say that the Pelicans might be a top four. I, I, the West is so goofy right now after the Warriors that that anything is possible. But um, I've thought about Jimmy Butler as being like that second star. He, I know he thinks of himself as the leading guy. I keep thinking about him as that second star, or, or in the case of Philly, it would be third. Um, somewhere where they need that one last guy to put them over the top and put them into true contention. And so Milwaukee, to me, uh, Philly, New Orleans, those, those are the kind of teams where I would like to see Jimmy Butler go. Not in, not in Miami where he's going to be surrounded by you know, a very average cast. Yeah. Well, I just hope it ends soon because I don't know if I can handle any more of this uh, Timberwolves talk with uh, Jimmy Butler. I don't know if I can handle any more. I'm already burnt out on the Jimmy Butler stuff. And I'm, I have a feeling that Glenn Taylor and Timberwolves fans and Tom Thibodeau are pretty burnt out on it, too. Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, the weight of that is, you know, can, can be its own um, its own force to be to be dealt with for a team. Um, they can't have this hanging over them for for too long um it has to get resolved unless jimmy butler wakes up one day and says you know what i changed my mind i want to stay i want to sign an extension or i'm oh, definitely going to resign in the off season like that, i mean that'd look, obviously that's not happening right. that, that's not happening but unless that happens um then there's no reason to believe that, that a deal isn't coming sometime in the next you know four weeks five weeks something i mean it's it, it, now. It, can't, it, it can't it can't drag on forever yeah yeah um all right last thing i want to talk about my favorite team to watch early on the season a team you're very familiar with because uh you're in the area the team that is last in nba attendance that should not be last the brooklyn nets they're so much fun spencer dinwiddie has the clutch gene now shooting threes at like a 45 percent clip never thought i'd see the day that spencer dinwiddie was just a dead-eyed marksman from deep um hitting clutch shots after clutch shots uh I don't know if any of this stuff is real. They're like three and five right now, but it does feel like we're inching very close. Like the Kings are penciled in the playoffs right down the West. Don't believe that that's going to hang, but I do have a sneaking suspicion that the Brooklyn Nets are going to sneak in as an eighth or seventh seed, which would be the best. But um, are the Brooklyn Nets making real progress or am I getting ahead of myself with the Karis LeVert, uh, D'Angelo Russell and uh, Spencer Dibwitty rotation in the backcourt? No, there's there's momentum there. There's real development, and it's been going on the last couple of years since Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson took over. Um, this, this team overachieved to get to, what was it, 28 wins, I think, last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought 33 to 35 was realistic this season. The playoff berth, I feel like, is still uh, a bit of a reach, but, you know, um, the, the, the East doesn't have – you know, after the first five teams or so, the, the East is not great. And so the possibility that the sixth, seventh, eighth seeds could be up for grabs, that somebody makes a run, if Washington falls apart and implodes, if they blow up the roster, um, if, you know, you know, early signs are good for Detroit, but that may not last. They don't exactly have a lot of depth there. And they've got, you know, two guys with Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin who are always hurt. I mean, the opening might be there for somebody to, to make an unlikely run to the seventh or eighth seed. The Nets, like I say, I, I just... I, I don't see it yet. What they have right now is a collection of some young guys with great upside who are making great strides. Karis LeVert, chief among them. Um, D'Angelo Russell, who's, who's finally seemingly starting to settle in and, and, and finding the right balance between creating for himself and creating for teammates and, and being a, a good teammate and, and staying healthy for that matter, because he wasn't last year. Um, and then, you know, some, some veterans around the edges and, you know, and, and guys who have just Ed Davis. found a, well, Ed Davis, um, 
the, I think what's most remarkable is the number of guys who you could have said, if you were, forget the most improved player award, but if you were just creating a most improved uh, team or just a list of guys, when you're, when you're going over it last season, I mean, Joe Harris was a candidate. Yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie was a candidate. Karis LeVert is now a candidate and could have been last year too, uh, although he missed a bunch of games. Um, but, but they've got all these guys who just, they keep making the, these strides that in some cases, especially with Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, guys who were just, you know, thrown away by multiple teams, you didn't expect. Um, so, you know, that speaks to the culture that they've created in Brooklyn. It speaks to Kenny Atkinson and his staff and how well they've done in, in, um, bringing guys along. Um, all that stuff matters. Uh, now there's a limit to it. You know, if you either have all-star talent or you don't. Um, so at some point they've got to get all-stars if they want to be a consistent playoff team and, and, and a force in the East. But what they've done with lower level guys and getting the absolute most out of them. And in some cases, reviving careers, sparking careers, I, I think is, is uh, really admirable and, and, and definitely worthy of praise. Uh, I just don't know how far it gets them this season. Yeah. I think their ceiling is obviously like an eight seed or seven seed in the East, but it does feel like they're like one position away where like Rondé Hollis Jefferson doesn't look like that final piece of the four. Jared Allen has come into his own and is really fun at the five. So they have something there. They can pencil him in long-term. You can pencil in D'Angelo Russell, probably now Karis LeVert. If he can stay healthy, you can pencil in um, D'Angelo Russell. I think you can as well, but our, our dismissor Dinwoody, Joe Harris is shooting like 56% from three to start the season and getting by guys on backdoor cuts. Like I watched that whole Pistons game and I don't understand how Joe Harris is able to sneak in for easy layups against anybody in the NBA. I don't understand it. He's unbelievably slow, but it works out every time and uh i'm i'm here for joe harris just finding ways to be efficient and sneaky good um for this brooklyn team but um and you mentioned detroit who it does feel nice that Dwayne casey is having early success with them like my what i hoped was that the raptors would be really good and also Dwayne casey would figure things out with this uh pistons group and that it would um have early good returns and you look at blake and the way he plays and it's like how does this happen? How do guys just like change their game as much as Blake has in the last year and a half? And it just looks so seamless. And then it shouldn't work with Drummond in today's NBA, but it's fine. You watch them and you're like, okay, I get it. I get how this works, but Blake does stuff off the dribble now that I'm just blown away by. Like I, I love, I've always loved Blake, but seeing what he's doing now, I don't even think any of us saw coming. It's just one of those under the radar things that you have to watch this Pistons team to understand like how insane it is, what Blake does for them. Yeah, it, it's been. Um, I don't want to say it's a revelation. But he, you know, he showed signs of these things in his, his, you know, tail end with the Clippers. You know, they, they, he was trying to extend his range out to three, and I think he's shooting that better. He was doing more things with the ball, and, and and certainly, I mean, the number of times where Chris Paul would miss two, three weeks, a month, and Blake Griffin would become the, their their playmaker, and all of a sudden his assist totals would, would skyrocket. He's, he's smart with the ball in his hands. He can do some things with it. And so I, I don't think it's, it's too much of a shocker, but you know, he got there middle of last season and, and Stan's trying to figure out how to best deploy him in, in that lineup when next Drummond and um, you know, injuries are always getting in the way with that team. And Dwayne Casey comes in this year with the, you know, kind of a, a fresh start in the camp to get everybody acclimated to each other. And they've, they've created a style that's working for them. And again, we'll see how, how far it takes them. Um, and we'll see if they can stay healthy, but yeah, the Pistons should be uh, one of those last couple of playoff teams in the East. 
Yeah. Well, last thing on the Nets, I want to get your opinion on, like, what do you think Chris LeVert is? Do you think he's a future star, or do you think that it's just, like, one of those things that we're being too nice just because it's been the Nets, and it's just, like, this glimmer of hope? But when you watch him, he ISOs a lot, and they trust him to, like, ISO by himself. He's, like, it's really bizarre. He's, if you watch the Nets, you would think that, and you didn't know anything about Chris LeVert, you would assume he was, like, their Kawhi Leonard with the way he plays and leads the offense from time to time. And you're just like, are they all moving out for LeVert? What? What is happening? I don't remember, like, I don't remember these scouting reports for Karis LeVert, especially out of Michigan. I I don't understand what I'm watching sometimes, but I I don't know what he is. And I don't, I, I don't know. Karis LeVert is like an anomaly to me right now that I haven't figured out because he's shooting like 27% from three and it just looks good. It's like one of those things. Like if you didn't know anything about him in the Nets, you would assume that he was a superstar. Just watching one random game. Well, again, in this era of the NBA where, you know, the guys you really want, um, if, if not a, you know, a, a great playmaking scoring point guard, because it's, it's been a point guard dominated league, but but the guys I think you really want are those between six, six to six, eight, six, nine stretchy guys who can, who can handle the ball and shoot and defend multiple positions. And, you know, you're, you're Jalen Browns and you're, you're Jason Tatum's and, you know, you're Brandon Ingram's like that, that model. Um, Karis LeVert, I, I don't want to say that he's at anybody particular's level yet, but the, the, the makeup there um, of his height and length, his ball handling abilities, uh, he's clever with the ball in his hands in a way that I don't know if anybody expected when he arrived. And, you know, he's, he, he can create and he can score and, and he's, uh, you know, he's just, I think, starting to, to kind of figure out what he can do in this league. And he's a lot bigger. I, you know, I, if you look at his Michigan yeah. size versus what he is now, he's added like 27 pounds of muscle. And I think that's why he's able to get inside um, with the way he, the way he does. Like he, he's, he's pretty jacked. He, he's he's got some he's got a lot of ability and he's clearly got a lot of confidence. They've been very excited about him quietly for the last you know year or so. They you know they didn't want to get ahead of themselves, but the Nets have been really high on him. Um, is he, he All Star caliber? Maybe I I, I I don't think that that's a crazy thought. Um, but you know there's there's you know there's there's a lot to go here still. But but you know he's the best player on their team right now. He may be the best active player in New York uh, until Kristaps Porzingis comes back from that ACL. Okay, I wouldn't rule it out. Karis LeVert better than Kristaps Porzingis. You heard it here first in the podcast. No. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, but anyway, I'm glad we were able to do this today, Howard. I really do appreciate you uh, taking the time. Is there anything we should check out for you uh, this week at Bleacher Report? Um, nothing at the moment. Um, podcast from earlier this week with Sean Livingston is up right now. I've got a podcast coming Monday with, speaking of the Nets, uh, Richard Jefferson, and I uh, have already taped something that is popping on Monday on the Full 48 podcast. And uh, I've got a story coming probably middle of next week to look out for. Okay. Perfect. And final question. You have a South Park uh, banner in your Twitter handle. Are you a big South Park fan? Uh, I am. That's okay. there for other reasons that we don't need to go into. Uh, right. People can figure it out by looking at it closely. But um, but yes, I am and have been since the beginning. That's amazing. I don't know why that just like baffled me. The first time I looked at your Twitter profile, I was like, I would never guess that Howard Beck is a big South Park fan. But I, I love South Park, so I had to get that in and had to, had to figure that out. That's it. <laughs> That's good. What is your favorite episode? Oh, that's what we'll end on. Oh my god. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's testing me. Um, 
Scott Tinnerman must die. I, um, it, the it, World of Warcraft. That one, that one, that one was a little too dark. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'll put file this under. We'll get back to you eventually someday on this because uh, I, it's it's too hard to, to uh, come up with on the fly. Okay, that's fair. But hey, it gives us a reason to do another pod. Just for, not basketball stuff, just more South Park talk, which is what everybody wants from <laughs> Chase and Howard Beck conversations is South Park. That's All right, right, Howard. Well, I appreciate it. Um, have a great weekend, and we'll have to talk again soon. Thanks, Chase. It's been a pleasure, man. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.